So good to be with you this morning. If I've not yet met you, my name is Brian, and I am blessed to be the preaching minister here at the Oak Crest Church of Christ. And I am particularly blessed by the love and the generosity of this congregation. You might recall if you were with us uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned that I have always wanted to own a convertible. And boy, what a blessing. You might not realize this, but you've given me a convertible. You see, last Sunday, I stood here and preached and stared at this pink bag for 20 minutes or so. And after services, Mark came up to me and said, uh, hey, that pink bag is for you. And so I opened the door, and it's a Matchbox Jeep. And uh, the, the card on it says, I found your favorite kind of convertible. You are now a proud Jeep owner. Your dream came true. But you know, it, it looked bigger in the showroom, is all I'll say. And then on top of that, on Friday night, uh, Bill Sledge and his wife uh, drove the recently washed, recently waxed red Ford Mustang convertible up to our home and picked us up at twilight and we drove to Sonic and we had milkshakes and we had iced tea and we had a lovely time of fellowship. We drove back home and I thought to myself, it's like the 1950s. (laughs) It's a blessing. It is a blessing to be a part of this church family and I hope you still think highly of me after I share this with you. It's less than three weeks until football season starts. And that makes me very happy because, you see, I am a lifelong fan of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Wow, that's not quite what I expected. But thanks for the Jeep. So I I really enjoy watching all football, but in particular when my favorite team uh, plays, I have been known to yell at the television. Uh, In particular, I've been known to yell at the referees on the television because, for whatever reason, they always seem to miss the calls (laughs) that they should find to go in favor of my team, and they always have the most horrendous calls that go against my team. Now, I've prayed often to the Lord about this, but um, it doesn't seem to be doing any good. And when I yell at the TV, sometimes my wife is there with me, and she's been known to turn to me and say, you know they can't hear you. Because as often as I yell, they've never, ever changed their mind. I don't know why. And I thought about that when I recently read the rest of the story that you never, ever really read when you read the story. If you have a device or a Bible with a device on it, or if you just want to watch the slides behind me, you're welcome to do so. I want to begin our journey this morning in the 32nd chapter of Exodus. It's part of a well-known story. If you've seen the Charlton Heston movie or you've been around church long enough, you know how it goes. The Israelites are at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses is off at the top of the mountain meeting with God, doing his Ten Commandments Moses thing. And meanwhile, down at the base of the mountain, God's people have gotten really frustrated and they're anxious and they're just impatient. And so they decide that they're going to make a replacement God. And you know how the whole golden calf thing goes. And then uh, God looks down on this and he has a conversation with Moses, which is recorded here in verses 7 through 10 of Exodus. And God says to Moses, go on down there. Uh, the people have become corrupt, they've turned away from me, they've made this idol in the shape of the calf. And then in verse 9 and 10, here's what God says to Moses. 
I've seen these people, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, Moses, so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and that I will make you, Moses, a great nation. God is not happy. In fact, I don't remember this part of the Charlton Heston movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. But God has made up his mind here in these verses to destroy the very people that he had led out of Egypt. Crossed the Red Sea, did some amazing things, and God is so frustrated with them that he just says, stand aside, I'm going to destroy these people. God's mind is made up. And then the most amazing thing happens in the next set of verses. Verse 11 and following goes like this. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord. But Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? Why should the Egyptians say that it was with evil intent that he brought his people out? And he goes on in the next set of verses to ask God to remember his mighty servants before, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he essentially asks God to change his mind. Now let me call time out for a moment. Moses asks God to change his mind. He's standing in the presence of God. And much like a lawyer standing before a judge, he begins to argue his case. Now, if you think about that long enough, it's incredibly thought-provoking. I mean, Moses must have had some kind of a special relationship with God to feel that he could do that, to have the audacity, to have the courage, to have whatever you want to call it, to approach God in this way. It is absolutely Remarkable, And even more remarkable than that is what happens in the very next verse. God hears all of this, and the text says, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Let that sink in for a moment. Moses makes his case, and God says, essentially, Huh. Yeah, that's just some pretty good points. Okay, Moses, you've convinced me I'm not going to destroy the people who I was just burning with anger against, whom I had just called stiff-necked people a moment ago. It's as if Moses calms God down, and God says, ah, I've changed my mind. Think about that. One human, God, and God changes his mind. Wow. Now, when I read this recently, I got to thinking about this, and I was praying about it, and I thought to myself, well, what do we say about all this? And I think it says some pretty powerful things that we need to hear this morning, that, that all of us can think about, and I think it can change your life if you're not careful. Let me start with this. I think this shows the respect and the care that God has for us. You know, God doesn't have to listen to Moses, nor does God have to listen to us. But the fact that God allows Moses to say this, because God could have said, whoa, 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 hush, Moses. My mind is made up, and it's not going to be changed by you or anybody else. 
And by the way, have you ever had that experience where you really try and go to someone to get them to change their mind and they're just not having any of it? You know, a lot of kids understand this because when you're a little kid, sometimes your mom or your dad will say, we're going to go do this. And they're like, but no, I want to go do that. Don't, 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 don't. Uh, my office manager over at the university is a wonderful person. And she was telling me a story a while ago about how AT&T is her internet service provider, and she was getting less than stellar service from AT&T, and so she would call AT&T's customer service line and try and get someone to change something with her account. And she got shunted around from one person to the next, from one person to the next, and every single person would say, sorry, nothing we can do about it. Sorry, nothing we can do about it. And she went up, 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 up at the food chain, and no one would do anything about it. Her problem. By the way, time out. Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> Can anybody relate to just wanting someone to intervene and change their mind about something, but it's like talking to a brick wall? In fact, it's not just internet service providers, it's other kinds of businesses, it's people, it's a lot of individuals in our life. But yet here's God listening to Moses and changing his mind. I think it's fair to say God has a lot of respect for Moses, and he cares about Moses' opinions and Moses' ideas. And you know what? The same thing is true of us. There's a passage in Hebrews that I think suggests something about this. In Hebrews chapter 2, God is talking about his creation. And the Hebrew writer says, well, what is humankind that you are mindful of us, of human beings that you care for them? You've made humans a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. My office manager didn't feel honored when she got shunted around from this person to that person to this supervisor to the supervisor's supervisor. She felt unimportant. Despite having been a customer of that company for years, she felt disrespected. And in a similar fashion, I think many of us feel the same way when someone powerful doesn't even give us the time of day. But God cares about humans. He respects humans enough that we were made a little lower than the angels. And what better way to show respect than to hear us out? When our family members have cancer, he hears us out. When we're frustrated with church or with people or with our job or with whatever, God hears us out. And it's interesting that in the ancient world, other gods, the Roman gods, for example, the gods of the people around the Israelites at the time that Exodus occurred, the Canaanites and all those people, the Moabites, the Jebusites, all the rest of them, their gods had a record of not listening to their people. Do you think in ancient Greece, Zeus would put up with what humans had to say? Not much. But our God, Jehovah God, cares about us enough and respects us enough that he listens and he changes his mind. That's right. You and your prayers, your petitions to God, what you pray about when you lay awake at night and look at the ceiling, what you bring to God when you pray as you drive along the road, what we bring to God as a church family when we pray in this place can change the mind of God. And that, my friend, shows the power of prayer.
It's one thing to pray a prayer of gratitude for your meal. And perhaps many of you will do that before lunch today. It's one thing to say your prayers before you go to bed at night. That's great. But do you really believe that your prayer is powerful? You see, we often don't think of our prayers as changing God's mind. We almost think of our prayers as meekly suggesting something to God. It's like some of my students tell me that one or more of my colleagues at the university are very intimidating people. And my students will tell me, boy, I really want to go and talk to Professor so-and-so about my grade or about this assignment, but I'm scared. In fact, one of my students was telling me late last semester that she wanted to go and talk to one of my colleagues in another building on campus who teaches a really difficult subject. And she said, I'm just afraid to go because I think the teacher made an error in marking one of my assignments. And I said, well, just, you know, send an email and say, can I set up an appointment, set up an appointment and go in and be very respectful. And she said, I could never do that. <laughs> this is a college professor with a doctorate and, and this professor is so much smarter than I will ever be and I, I can never do that. You see, she's afraid of the power. But our God welcomes our prayers. In fact, if we take seriously what Scripture says, we believe our prayers actually do have the power to change God's mind. In James chapter 5, there's a passage that's very familiar to us, but I want to put it into the context of changing God's mind. James encourages Christians like you and I to confess our sins to one another, well, that's scary, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, we sometimes glibly say, oh, yeah, the prayer of a righteous person, it's powerful and effective. But here's how powerful it is. God might not have gotten involved. God might not have healed unless you or we prayed for him. Think about that. In the same way, my office manager might not get her bill or her account sorted out unless she had actually asked about it. Here's how powerful and effective your prayers are. Someone's life or some situation could turn out this way, but because you prayed, because we prayed, God will make it turn out that way. You see, it's interesting. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Effective at doing what? Getting rid of the cancer, healing someone from COVID, finding someone a job they need, bringing someone who's wandered away from faith back when otherwise that would not have happened unless God intervened. That's how powerful and effective our prayers are. Now, if you're uncomfortable by that, I believe that Jesus himself supports this way of thinking because in Luke's gospel, he tells a parable that is familiar to us, but also a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable for us. In Luke chapter 18 in verse 1, Jesus tells his disciples this parable. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, okay, now, now, hold on a second. It's as if Jesus is telling this parable because he understands sometimes we're either prone not to pray or we're prone to pray and kind of give up. Kind of a, well, hey, God, could you maybe do this? Okay, I'm done. And he jumps in. <clears throat> in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what the people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to the judge with the 
plea. Grant me justice over my adversary. Grant me justice over my adversary. Well, for some time the judge refused, but he finally said to himself, Ugh, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I, I will see that she gets justice so that eventually she won't come and keep attacking me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him? Will God keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. In other words, if a human earthly judge that doesn't fear God or care about people can change his mind, don't you think the God that loves you and knows the hairs on your head and knows what's going on in your four walls and knows the pains you carry in your heart and knows what you dream about and what you fear and what you hope, don't you think he can change his mind and say, yeah, you know what? I wasn't going to intervene, but now I will. That's the parable of the persistent widow. To teach his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. In fact, if you think about it, the repeated petitions to God, please, God, heal my loved one. Please, God, renew this church. Please, God, lift this pandemic. Please, God, fill in the blank. It actually affirms God's power. Because the fact that you keep saying that over and over again underscores the idea that maybe, just maybe, God could do something. So what's the big point of all this? Well, I'll say it again. You can change God's mind. And that doesn't at all minimize the power or the majesty of God. What it means is that the same God who has the throne that Kyle described in that passage from Isaiah as worship began allows you to come into that throne room and he hears you out and he might do something. You know, too often we think of God as if he's some kind of robotic chess player, you know. He's like thinking four or five moves ahead and, 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 and not really involved in things. But that's not how it is. In fact, actually, I think that this persistence that we show in the continued prayer, it shows that God is compassionate. Because God relented and didn't destroy his people at the foot of Mount Sinai. And in so many ways, so many ways, God has answered our prayer. Oh, by the way, my office manager, one day she's at her desk and the phone rings. She picks it up. It's the president of AT&T. The president of AT&T. Somehow, some way, her petition had filtered its way up to the top and it was brought to the attention of the president of AT&T. And so the president of AT&T apologized profusely to my office manager, promised to correct the problem, and wouldn't you know it? Within 24 hours, the problem was corrected. And I said to her, can you do me a favor and call OGE for me? Because I had this little problem here. But if the president of AT&T can get around to helping my office manager solve a billing problem, don't you think God can do something in your life. It doesn't diminish God's power to say that we can change his mind. It speaks to his compassion and his love. 
And of course, I also must say, just because our prayers can change God's mind, doesn't mean that he will. Doesn't mean that he will. And you know, the last time I checked, my driver's license says Brian Keith Simmons on it. It doesn't say God. And so I can't explain why some prayers are answered and some prayers are not. I can't explain why after 12 prayers, God seems to act, but after 12,000, he doesn't. Ah, it's beyond me. God's ways are not my ways. But I do know that in the Bible, I read about the parable of the persistent widow, and I read about God's conversation with Moses, and I know from experience that God is a God who loves us. There's a book called The Mystery of God, written by Christopher Hall and Stephen Boyer, and in it they say, perhaps the heart of faith is just going with it, even though you don't entirely understand it. And so I don't understand how it works to change God's mind. But I know the scripture tells me it can happen. And I don't understand how prayers can be powerful and effective. But at the same time, often the prayers don't seem to be answered, at least the way I want them to. But I choose to just go with it. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that we worship a God that loves us and respects us and cares about us enough to change his mind. And I think that also is a manifestation of God's faithfulness. Faithfulness to us, faithfulness to his character. And so in a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song that praises God for that faithfulness. And as that song is sung, if you came to this particular space this morning with needs, spiritual needs, then we'd like to be able to meet them. We have a baptistry behind me that we'd love to make use of this morning to baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins and make your relationship with God right. If we can pray with you about whatever it is in your life, if together we can pray to try and change God's mind about what your needs are, we'd be honored to do that. One of our shepherds will stand here in a moment as we sing. There'll be another back in the foyer if that's more comfortable for you. Don't hesitate to come and have them pray with you, that we then as a church family can pray for your spiritual needs. Because our God's faithfulness is great. And yet in the midst of that, we can change his mind. So let's stand together as a church family and sing.